Hello and welcome to our Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. And we're so excited to share this week's headlines with you. Anna and I had a busy week. Her sister is still staying with us. So despite a little bit of rain, we tried to get out. Yeah, and we were walking near our apartment a couple of days ago and we stumbled across Red Bull Arts, which is a multidisciplinary contemporary art project space and it features recording studios, radio broadcast booths, and um, performance space. And we saw some sculptures that caught our eye, so we decided to get some tickets and go. And I believe tickets were free. Yes, correct. Which is great. So going on right now is a show by the artist Akeem Smith titled No Gial Contest. We posted some images to our Instagram, so we encourage everyone to go and check it out and follow us at Curated Chatter. Yes. So the show was super cool. I really liked it. It presents personal images from Kingston's dance hall community, which were given to Smith, the artist, by his own family and friends. And they're presented as a series of large-scale multimedia works made from salvaged architectural remnants from Kingston, like the streets in Kingston. And in addition to that, they also include like video installations. Yeah. One thing that I really liked about the show was this idea of creating an environment. Mm -hmm. You can physically step in to some of the works and then the photos and videos are very much like encapsulated in this architectural framework. And you really have to like move around them to really see it all in each work is so rich there were like house-like works almost yes and it was like you stepped in and you saw like photographs and um videos and it almost was like walking into a house but then all of some of the other works like one of my favorites just had a princess tv from disney like included in it so it was like the craziest thing to just see that tv but then on the tv it's like a naked woman dancing Definitely like the juxtaposition. Yeah. What did you think about the sound? Because it's a very loud show. Yes. So there were so many videos. I personally felt a little overwhelmed just because like you'd be watching one video and you didn't know if the audio was coming from that video you were watching or from a different video that was in the installation. Especially because it was spread out across two floors. Yes. Where you really, you were hearing things and <laughs> you just like didn't know. Yes, but I thought it was super cool to like be on the top floor and you get to walk down. When you're walking down, you see some of the videos are placed on the floor. And I just thought that was super cool that you could see them from the top of the stair from like above, but then you were um, at the same level as them and they you get a completely different perspective so that was also one of my favorite pieces yeah I just loved the show I thought it was super interesting yeah and it reminded me of something we saw together yes. at the Whitney pre-quarantine mm-hmm. Lisa Lou's kitchen which was a beaded kitchen yeah this idea like the texture and this mm-hmm. idea of like entering a space I felt like was very similar yeah I agree I like that this installation used so many different materials and so many different words were written on the thing. So like, for example, um, one of the first pieces walking in just says like no photos or um, like little notes like that. And the title of the show actually comes from a photograph that the artist sent to, I believe, his dad. um, And that was what was written on the back of the photograph. But it's such a vibrant exhibition because it like is very rooted in Jamaican culture. So a lot of the videos are just like 
of people dancing in traditional Jamaican costumes. Yeah, I really liked it. And I really liked the physical space. So I'm excited to know that it's so close to our apartment and see what else they put on. I believe this goes through November. So Mm -hmm. definitely go visit if you have a chance. Yeah, it's really great. Are we ready? Yes, we're ready. Our first headline is presented by Art News where it was reported that, quote, new documentary offers touching portrait of collector and philanthropist Agnes Gund. So as Art News notes, Agnes Gund is one of the most beloved people in the art world. She's a philanthropist who, among other things, has made it her mission to ensure that artists of color get representation in major art institutions. So this new documentary is coming out titled Aggie, and it's actually directed by her daughter, Catherine, who's a well-regarded documentary filmmaker and kind of is seeking to immortalize her image. Yeah, so I am super, super excited to watch this documentary for many reasons, but one of them is the fact that so many artists that I love are featured, such as um, Julie Mahertu, Teresita Fernandez, and Catherine O.P. It's always amazing to get to see artists speak just on anything because they really are often so silent when you go to a museum people don't know what they look like Mm -hmm, that's so true and I think part of why Aggie as a person is so impressive is because she's friends with the artist she's collecting from if she's not friends with them she at least like knows them (laughs) and even though she has done so much to change the art industry she Mm -hmm. makes it very clear and the article makes it very clear that she does not like this level of recognition yeah it's super interesting the beginning of the documentary I think she mentions that when she bought her first like real piece of art which was a Henry Moore sculpture she felt so guilty about spending so much money on art that she decided to donate it to a museum she was like no I just need to donate it (laughs) It's also important to note, she was the director of MoMA. Yeah, Yeah. so she's definitely deeply like embedded in the art world. Mm -hmm. And then I know that you have a very personal connection. Yeah, so that's another reason why I love this headline. So I met Aggie once when I was a senior in high school. She came to talk to my artistry class. It was a very special day for me because I think in that day I like realized I wanted to do art and I loved art so much. But mostly I was just impressed by her generosity and the way she talked about art. But one thing that really stuck out to me during the conversation we had with her was the fact that she casually brought up the fact that she was friends with Roy Lichtenstein and um, Mark Rothko and that they both had like been to her house and like she talked to them as friends in her living room. And I just thought that was so cool because oftentimes artists like this just seem so far removed and so like an abstract concept in my mind that it's so interesting to know that people I've met have met them in person. It's like weird to think of them as real people. Exactly, exactly. And then speaking of Liechtenstein, Gunn decided to sell a major artwork by the artist to fund a new initiative that aims to end mass incarceration in the U.S. So the initiative is called Art for Justice Fund and was partially inspired by the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay. Yeah, this is a super impressive initiative and I'm so excited to see where it's going. I just think we could talk about other things that Agnes Gunn has done for hours. So I'm interested to see how the documentary encapsulates all of these amazing, amazing, amazing things she's done for the art world in just like 90 minutes or however long it is. Yeah, I think we're both so excited to see it and we'll definitely be sharing our thoughts on a future episode. For sure. We're going to become film critics. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Headline number two comes to us from The Guardian where it reads that quote, 
the gangster vanishes, twist and hunt for the world's largest haul of stolen art. So this is an exciting headline. To give a little bit of background on the story, on March 18th, 1997, two men dressed up as police officers approached a side door of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. They told the guard who was standing at the door there had been a nearby disturbance and they were let inside, which goes against all protocols. It's crazy that that happened. (laughs) I can't believe it. And then within minutes, the guard and his colleague were gagged and bound. And the museum had a more primitive security system, which did not include alarms on individual artworks. So the thieves were able to spend about 80 minutes at their leisure inside of the museum and in total took 13 pieces, 11 paintings and sketches, including works by Rembrandt, Vermeer, Manet and Degas a 3,000-year-old Chinese beaker, and a bronze top of a Napoleonic flagstaff. I would feel so bad being the guards. Can you imagine (laughs) just watching it happen? No, no, no. No, letting it happen in the first place. It's not like you're just watching. It's like you know it's your fault. Uh, But yeah, no, I cannot imagine. So sad. But I also lived in Boston for a year and loved going to this museum. And what is crazy about it is that they keep the empty frames. So you're walking around and it's like you're like they it's like you're being reminded of what happened like more than 20 years ago. And there's still the $10 million reward out for information and like this crime, which is so crazy because it has been so long. And honestly, $10 million seems like not a lot of money compared to how much all of these the works artworks are. are. Yes, exactly. And the story is still so notorious because mm-hmm. it's the single biggest theft of property in America. But the reason why it's in the news again and why we're talking about it today is because a new documentary titled The Billion Dollar Art Hunt is being released on BBC on October 19th. It's very important that this is in the news again because our generation otherwise like would not know about it unless they live in Boston. Right. Yeah. Because, like I've never been to the museum. Right. And like maybe like you had heard about it because like you're very into art history, but right. other people um, might not know about it because I mean, it happened before we were born. So it's very crazy. Yeah. And basically what happens in the documentary, obviously we haven't seen it yet, Uh but Charles Hill, who's a former head of the Mets Art and Antique Squad, who recovered Edward Munch's The Scream in 1994, and he's considered to be a leading art sleuth, which is a very cool job. He received a credible lead that took him to West Dublin last autumn and the BBC camera crew chronicles the investigation in I'm this so documentary. I'm so excited to watch this too. So we now have two documentaries <laughs> to watch. Uh, but just circling back to this idea of the guards, that really just <laughs> shook me. Yeah. I just can't imagine that happening today with all of the security systems that are in place and like the way that technology has evolved. Like, can you imagine something like this happening? I, In my mind, it would be like the frick getting robbed today. It's like, so crazy to think about. I always think when I go to museums sometimes when the mm-hmm. guards like turn away, like how easy it would be. Yeah. But I just assume in my mind that everything is so wired and so yeah. alarmed and they have cameras everywhere. But in 1997, I guess that wasn't <laughs> it was the a case. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, even in the Uffizi gallery, I um, would be in class sometimes. I, I'd get too close to the pieces and the alarms would go off. Yes, like, not and even. they have like the lines exactly, on the floor. Exactly, on the floor. So it's like very crazy to think that this happened and that it's still nothing has been recovered. 
very sad. So crazy. And obviously, it's also great publicity for the museum. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a ton of people are going to want to go and see those empty frames now. Yeah. So we're excited to watch. Very excited. Headline number three is another sort of unique story today. The art newspaper disclosed that, quote, Houston politicians' mysterious collection of African artifacts raises alarm bells. So hundreds of pieces of African art are being stored in a publicly funded warehouse by the Harris County Commissioner Rodney Ellis with little explanation of their background or how they got there. Mm -hmm. In 2018, an art loan agreement was made between the county and a private company called African Art Global, which gave permission for the works to be stored in this facility under the condition that a proportion of the works were to be displayed at the local Tom Bass Community Center. But the interesting part of this is that the agreement detailed 14 works and (laughs) hundreds were discovered stashed in the space. No, this is super, this is a wild story. Can you imagine like just taxpayer dollars paying for this? No, I can't imagine even seeing <laughs> and the then, hundreds yes. like grouped together. It's very crazy. But Paige and I took a class on African art while in college. Um, another one of our <laughs> requirements. Um, and it was a class we found super interesting for many reasons. But one of them, we learned a lot about like objects being priceless versus objects being tourist art and I think this is an issue that the people who found this are having right now because we they don't know how much everything is worth and if it's actually like priceless African artifacts or if they're just tourist made right they need to have researchers go in and really look at the art that's there because the provenance like no one knows where all this came from but I think this highlights the bigger issue of African art as a whole um, which is often not taken as seriously as other forms of art. Yeah, and the display and storage of African art and artifacts is often really problematic. Yes. Even at large museums such as the Met, this is something mm-hmm. that we studied a lot, how the works were not properly cared for or displayed. Mm-hmm. So if that's happening at the Met, you can imagine what's happening <laughs> at other institutions. <laughs> we're in a warehouse in Houston. <laughs> uh, one of the things that's super interesting about African art is that African art sometimes is meant to be danced with or used. So when it's displayed at a museum, it kind of loses its intrinsic value which is something we also learned about and we are happy to discuss further if um if wanted (laughs) but yeah no I think this story is very very wild and it reminded me of a different headline actually that I read a couple of um, days about ago. the Rijksmuseum yes. in Amsterdam. Yes. So the Rijksmuseum has voiced its support for a legal apparatus that would return 100,000 objects in their collection to former colonies if it gets approved. And one of the highlights is a diamond that they would return to Singapore, which is obviously very valuable. But I think they came to this decision after they were like slightly inspired by what's going on in France, since France has decided to return works in different museums to Senegal and Benin by 2021. And I think this also goes back to a little bit of an issue of restitution, which Mm -hmm. we talked about on our previous episode and how interesting and important the provenance of works of art are. Yes, no, exactly. Um, And it's also just, it's an issue that it's not really talked about. Um, I know you brought up the Met before and I think the Met was having issues like fundraising to rebuild their African art gallery because all the money goes to contemporary art or other areas of the museum where people like 
people are much more willing mm-hmm. and it's much easier to get people to donate money for the contemporary wing of yes. this museum than it is for the African wing yes. when the African wing might be the one that needs the, the renovation the most. <laughs> yes. um, so it is something that we for sure will be talking about again um, because sadly it comes up a lot. Our fourth headline brought to us by BBC reports that quote, museum of the year, 200,000 pound prize split five ways amid financial peril. So five museums and galleries have shared the coveted title of Museum of the Year for 2020. The annual awards increased prize fund has been raised to 200,000 pounds and the judges decided to split the honor five ways this year rather than picking just one winner as has happened in years past. Mm -hmm. And this is partially or mostly due to the unprecedented challenges that all museums are facing this year. Yes. And then the five winners are Aberdeen Art Gallery, Gare Law Museum, the Science Museum, South London Gallery and Towner Art Gallery Eastbourne. Yeah, so for audience members who don't know, the Museum of the Year Prize is a coveted award given to a single museum in the United Kingdom. And this museum usually has a track record of imagination, innovation, and excellence. And that one museum usually gets £100,000, while the the four museums on the shortlist get £10,000. But yeah, this year they changed things up. It's amazing that they're doing it this year because obviously all museums are struggling, not Mm -hmm. only because they were forced to close for a period of time, but also because tourism has significantly yes. dropped. And mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about who goes to museums, a lot of it is tourists. Yeah, no, exactly. And like we've read so much about um, other museums in past weeks that are selling works of art in order to fund their collections and fund their, um, you know, operations. Right. So hopefully this prize money can go towards the museum's funding or paying staff because so many museums are also letting staff go right now mm-hmm. rather than having to sell works of art. So I think they were all five great choices. I had a personal favorite, which was the Aberdeen Art Gallery. And it was mostly just because I felt kind of bad for them. They had just reopened last year and they were doing so well. Like they had so many visitors in their first week after reopening. But I also think that they were closed because they remodeled. And I think they're Um, remodeling helped them so much because they went from having 370 works on display to 1080 works and I just think that's super impressive and it needs to be talked about more because they tripled it yeah (laughs) and we know of other museums in certain cities that you know like shut down for renovations and then they reopened with like almost the same amount of wall space (laughs) so um it's just like so great to see that it is possible to you know have more wall space it shows a commitment to showing more exactly exactly did you have a favorite I definitely like that the science museum got the Mm -hmm. money I've been in London when I was younger and I think that's always great it has a space in your heart yes (laughs) but the towner in Eastbourne I had never been to but I googled it when Mm -hmm. I was reading this headline and I was really intrigued the exterior of the building is actually really impressive it's very brightly colored I encourage everyone to go and google it but Why I loved this selection was that it's best known for its collection of modern British art and is free to visit. Mm -hmm. So they obviously need funding to continue being free for all visitors. And then I love the fact that the charity comes from the UK and they're supporting UK artists. Like they're really supporting themselves. Yeah, it's like very full circle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's cute. But yeah, no, I think this was a great decision on their part to make it um, an equal prize for all five people on the list. I think it's an excellent, I think it's an excellent example of 
COVID affecting an industry and them changing something in In a a positive way. Yeah, I agree. It's very, it's very endearing. (laughs) Rather than reading about another closure. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but no, yeah, it's for sure very nice and very good to see. Our fifth and final story is some breaking news and comes to us from Art News, where it was announced that, quote, sculptor Simone Lee picked to represent United States at 2022 Venice Biennale. The Institute of Contemporary Art Boston, in cooperation with the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, is commissioning the pavilion where Lee's work will be showcased. The Venice Biennale is the biggest art festival in the world, and the 2022 edition will run from April to November. Yeah, and something that is really cool is that after the Biennale, the ICA Boston will present Lee's work in what will be her biggest survey show to date. And it will include works from Bibianale. And Simone Lee, to give some background information about her, is a New York-based artist whose sculptures focus on the Black woman as a subject matter. She draws inspiration from historical strands and references. Yeah, and um, something that's also pretty cool is that there's going to be a monumental bronze sculpture placed outside of the pavilion, and it's supposed to be really big. And it also showcases like one of the main materials she uses, but some of the other materials excuse me, she uses are raffia and ceramic. And the thing that's so incredible about this is that she's the first Black woman from the U.S., Who's giving? who has been given the opportunity to display her work on the pavilion. So it's a really like historical moment. Yes, for sure. I personally love Lee. Some of her works were showcased at the Whitney Biennial last year um, in a room that focused on female experiences. If any of her listeners went to the Biennial last year, you might remember Lee's sculptures were placed in conversation with up-close photographs of women giving birth, which I found super powerful. I also saw the works and mm-hmm. I difficult to forget yeah (laughs) definitely stay in my mind and lee's work is on display throughout new york city some of her sculptures are currently on view at the high line Mm -hmm. and one of them you can even see from 10th ave like as you're walking by yeah it's pretty cool but also since we love the guggenheim so much and we talk about it so much it is important (laughs) to know that lee won the 2018 hugo boss prize which is an award the guggenheim Um, gives biennially to an artist for their outstanding achievements in contemporary art and after winning the prize she was given an exhibition space at the Guggenheim yes and in 2019 she joined Hauser and Wirth so the past few few years have been very successful for her as an artist definitely and one thing that I love about her work is it is very recognizable like Mm -hmm. after seeing the show at the Guggenheim that was kind of my first interaction with her body of work and Mm -hmm. I recognize it everywhere I go now yeah for sure it has like a certain continuity and like it almost feels like all of the pieces she makes are in conversation with each other but I also think it's super cool that she's a New York-based artist and her work is present throughout the city yes So we cannot wait to see what she's going to produce. Yes, I'm so excited. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. This week, we will not have a Friday feature, but next week we will be having one and we will be talking to artist Alexandra Grounds via Zoom. Yes. (laughs) So stay tuned for that. And you can follow us everywhere at Curated Chatter and links to everything are on curatedchatter.com. Thank you. Bye.